Chapter 9 of History of Astronomy. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. History of Astronomy by George Forbes. Chapter 9 Discovery of New Planets. Herschel, Piazzi, Adams, and Leveria. It would be very interesting but quite impossible in these pages to discuss all the exquisite researches of the mathematical astronomers, and to inspire a reverence for the names connected with these researches, which for two hundred years have been establishing the universality of Newton's law. The lunar and planetary theories, the beautiful theory of Jupiter's satellites, the figure of the Earth and the tides, were mathematically treated by Maclaurin, D'Alembert, Legendre, Clairaut, Euler, Lagrange, Laplace, Walmsley, Bailey, Lalande, Delambre, Mayer, Hansen, Burchard, Binet, Damousseau, Plana, Poisson, Gauss, Bessel, Bovard, Airy, Ivory, Delaunay, Leveria, Adams, and others of later date. By passing over these important developments, it is possible to trace some of the steps in the crowning triumph of the Newtonian theory, by which the planet Neptune was added to the known members of the solar system, by the independent researches of Professor J. C. Adams and of Monsieur Leverrier in 1846. It will be best to introduce this subject by relating how the 18th century increased the number of known planets, which was then only six including the Earth. On March 13, 1781, Sir William Herschel was, as usual, engaged on examining some small stars, and, noticing that one of them appeared to be larger than the fixed stars, suspected that it might be a comet. To test this, he increased his magnifying power from 227 to 460, and 932 finding that, unlike the fixed stars near it, its definition was impaired and its size increased. This convinced him that the object was a comet, and he was not surprised to find on succeeding nights that the position was changed, the motion being in the ecliptic. He gave the observations of five weeks to the Royal Society without a suspicion that the object was a new planet. For a long time, people could not compute a satisfactory orbit for the supposed comet, because it seemed to be near the perihelion, and no comet had ever been observed with a perihelion distance from the sun greater than four times the Earth's distance. Lexel was the first to suspect that this was a new planet, eighteen times as far from the sun as the Earth is. In January 1783, Laplace published The Elliptic Elements. The discoverer of a planet has a right to name it. So Herschel called it Georgium Cetus, after the king. But Lalanda argued the adoption of the name Herschel. Bode suggested Uranus, and this was adopted. The new planet was found to rank in size next to Jupiter and Saturn, being 4.3 times the diameter of the Earth. In 1787, Herschel discovered two satellites, both revolving in nearly the same plane, inclined 80 degrees to the ecliptic, and the motion of both was retrograde. In 1772, before Herschel's discovery, 
Bode had discovered a curious, arbitrary law of planetary distances. Opposite each planet's name, write the figure 4, and in succession add the numbers 0, 3, 6, 12, 24, 48, 96, etc., to the 4, always doubling the last numbers. You then get the planetary distances. Mercury, with a distance of 4, 4 plus 0 equals 4. Venus, 7, 4 plus 3 equals 7. Earth, 10, 4 plus 6 equals 10. Mars, 15, 4 plus 12 equals 16. A blank, 4 plus 24 equals 28. Jupiter, a distance of 52, 4 plus 48 equals 52. Saturn, 95, 4 plus 96 equals 100. Uranus, a distance of 192, 4 plus 192 equals 196. Another blank, 4 plus 384 equals 388. All the five planets and the Earth fitted this rule, except there was a blank between Mars and Jupiter. When Uranus was discovered, also fitting the rule, the conclusion was irresistible that there was probably a planet between Mars and Jupiter. An association of 24 astronomers was now formed in Germany to search for the planet. Almost immediately afterwards, the planet was discovered, not by any members of the association, but by Piazzi, who was engaged upon his great catalogue of stars. On January 1st, 1801, he observed a star which had changed its place the next night. Its motion was retrograde till January 11th, direct after the 13th. Piazzi fell ill before he had enough observations for computing the orbit with certainty and the planet disappeared in the sun's rays. Gauss published an approximate ephemeris of probable positions when the planet should emerge from the sun's light. There was an exciting hunt, and on December 31st, the day before its birthday, de Zach captured the truant, and Piazzi christened it Ceres. The mean distance from the sun was found to be 2.767, agreeing with the 2.8 given by Bode's law. Its orbit was found to be inclined over 10 degrees to the elliptic, and its diameter was only 161 miles. On March 28, 1802, Olbers discovered a new seventh magnitude star, which turned out to be a planet resembling Ceres. It was called Pallas. Gauss found its orbit to be inclined 35 degrees to the ecliptic, and to cut the orbit of Ceres. Whence, Olbers considered that these might be fragments of a broken-up planet. He then commenced a search for other fragments. In 1804, Harding discovered Juno, and in 1807, Olbers found Vesta. The next one was not discovered until 1845, from which date, asteroids or minor planets, as these small planets are called, have been found almost every year. They now number about 700. It is impossible to give any idea of the interest with which the first editions since prehistoric times to the planetary system were received. All of those who showered congratulations upon the discoverers regarded these discoveries in the light of rewards for patient and continuous labors, the very highest rewards that could be desired. 
and yet there remained still the most brilliant triumph of all the addition of another planet like uranus before it had ever been seen when the analysis of adams and leverrier gave a final proof of the powers of newton's great law to explain any planetary irregularity after sir william herschel discovered uranus in 1781 it was found that astronomers had observed it on many previous occasions mistaking it for a fixed star of the sixth or seventh magnitude altogether nineteen observations of uranus's position from the time of flamsteed in 1690 had been recorded in 1790 delambre using all these observations prepared tables for computing its position these worked well enough for a time but at last the difference between the calculated and observed longitudes of the planets became serious in 1821 Brevard undertook a revision of the tables but found it impossible to reconcile all the observations of a hundred and thirty years the period of revolution of uranus is eighty-four years so he deliberately rejected the old ones expressing the opinion that the discrepancies might depend upon some foreign and unperceived cause which may have been acting upon the planet in a few years the errors even of these tables became intolerable in eighteen thirty five the error of longitude was thirty minutes in eighteen thirty eight fifty minutes in eighteen forty one seventy minutes and by comparing the errors derived from observations made before and after opposition a serious error of the distance the radius vector became apparent in eighteen forty three john couch adams came out senior wrangler at cambridge and was free to undertake the research which as an undergraduate he had set himself to see whether the disturbances of uranus could be explained by assuming a certain orbit and position in that orbit of a hypothetical planet even more distant than uranus such an explanation had been suggested but until eighteen forty three no one had the boldness to attack the problem bessel had intended to try but a fatal illness overtook him adams first recalculated all known causes of disturbance using the latest determinations of the planetary masses still the errors were nearly as great as ever he could now however use these errors as being actually due to the perturbations produced by the unknown planet in eighteen forty four assuming a circular orbit and a mean distance agreeing with bode's law he obtained a first approximation to the position of the supposed planet he then asked professor chalice of cambridge to procure the latest observations of uranus from greenwich which airy immediately supplied then the whole work was recalculated from the beginning with more exactness and assuming a smaller mean distance in september eighteen forty five he handed to chalice the elements of the hypothetical planet its mass and its apparent position for september thirtieth eighteen forty five on september twenty second chalice wrote to airy explaining the matter and declaring his belief in adams capabilities when adams called on him airy was away from home but at the end of october eighteen forty five he called again and left a paper with full particulars of his results which had for the most part reduced the discrepancies to about one minute 
as a matter of fact it has since been found that the heliocentric place for the new planet then given was correct within about two degrees airy wrote expressing his interest and asked for particulars about the radius factor adams did not then reply as the answer to this question could be seen to be satisfactory by looking at the data already supplied he was a most unassuming man and would not push himself forward he may have felt after all the work he had done that airy's very natural inquiry showed no proportionate desire to search for the planet anyway the matter lay in embryo for nine months meanwhile one of the ablest french astronomers leverrier experienced in computing perturbations was independently at work knowing nothing about adams he applied to his calculations every possible refinement and considering the novelty of the problem his calculation was one of the most brilliant in the records of astronomy in criticism it has been said that these were exhibitions of skill rather than helps to a solution of the particular problem and that in claiming to find the elements of the orbit within certain limits he was claiming what was under the circumstances impossible as the result proved in june eighteen forty six leverrier announced in the comte rendu de la academie de sciences that the longitude of the disturbing planet for january first eighteen forty seven was three hundred and twenty five and that the probable error did not exceed ten degrees the result agreed so well with adams within one degree that airy urged chalice to apply the splendid northumberland equatorial at cambridge to the search chalice however had already prepared an exhaustive plan of attack which must in time settle the point his first work was to observe and make a catalogue or chart of all stars near adams position on august thirty first eighteen forty six the verrier published the concluding part of his labors on september eighteenth eighteen forty six le verrier communicated his results to the astronomers at berlin and asked them to assist in searching for the planet by good luck dr bremerker had just completed a star chart of the very part of the heavens including le verrier's position thus eliminating all of chalice's preliminary work the letter was received in berlin on september twenty third and the same evening gall found the new planet of the eighth magnitude the sides of its disk agreeing with leverrier's prediction and the heliocentric longitude agreeing within fifty-seven seconds by this time chalice had recorded without reduction the observations of three thousand one hundred and fifty stars as a commencement for his search on reducing these he found a star observed on august twelfth which was not in the same place on july thirtieth this was the planet and he had also observed it on august fourth the feeling of wonder admiration and enthusiasm aroused by this intellectual triumph was overwhelming in the world of astronomy reminders are met every day of the terrible limitations of human reasoning powers and every success that enables the mind's eye to see a little more clearly the meaning of things has always been heartily welcomed by those who have themselves been engaged in like researches but since the publication of the principia in 1687 there is probably no analytical success which has raised among astronomers 
such a feeling of admiration and gratitude as when Adams and Leverrier showed the inequalities in Uranus's motion to mean that an unknown planet was in a certain place in the heavens, where it was found. At the time, there was an unpleasant display of international jealousy. The British people thought that the earlier date of Adams' work, and of the observation by Chalice, entitled him to at least an equal share of credit with Leverrier. The French, on the other hand, who, on the announcement of the discovery by Gaulle, glowed with pride in the new proof of the great powers of their astronomer Leverrier, whose life had a long record of successes in calculation, were incredulous on being told that it had all been already done by a young man whom they never heard of. These displays of jealousy have long since passed away, and there is now universally an entente cordiale that to each of these great men belongs equally the merit of having so thoroughly calculated this inverse problem of perturbations as to lead to the immediate discovery of the unknown planet, since called Neptune. It was found that the planet had been observed and its position recorded as a fixed star by Lalande on May 8th and 10th, 1795. Mr. Lassell, in the same year, 1846, with his two-feet reflector, discovered a satellite with retrograde motion, which gave the mass of the planet about a twentieth of that of Jupiter. End of chapter 9